Hi, I'm Ryan Guth. Each week, I'll be sitting down with inspirational men and women whose energy makes our city a more interesting place to live. So whether you're new to Albuquerque, just visiting, or have lived here your whole life, ABQCast is my way of sharing these conversations with you. Now let's get to it. Hey there, Albuquerque. This is Ryan Guth of ABQ Cast. And I should say, hey there, Albuquerque and Corrales. Uh, I'm sitting here at Hanselman Pottery with James West. He is the head potter here. If you've not seen Hanselman Pottery, it is some really gorgeous stuff. And I happen to be in their operation right now, sitting with it on a table that's covered in, what would you call this, pottery dust? Clay dust. Clay dust. With I'm watching this whole production go down. It's actually really like soothing to watch and not as loud as I thought it was going to be. It just seems mm-hmm. like a really nice mm-hmm. place to work. So James, thanks for being here on the show. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to be here. I'm just another day at the shop. Another day at the shop. So what were you doing before I arrived today? So we're really kind of pushing our last uh, bit of work for the end of the year sales and getting orders out. So we're just uh, pushing a lot of the drinkware. And today I'm putting handles on mugs and doing a lot of uh, trimming and finish work, that kind of thing. So James, what makes Hanselman Pottery, and I want to, I do want to get into kind of how you got into, into doing this, but, mm-hmm. but while we're on you fulfilling orders here... Sure. What makes Hanselman Pottery such a special place? Uh, there's lots of things. Um, I think one of the things that people really connect with here is is the method uh, of which we you know make the work. Um, everything is made by hand, one at a time, and we're always you know we're really keeping our customers in in our mind, and that uh, people who collect pottery kind of expect us to really put forth something of quality. And yeah, and big production is not what we're we're about. We're really about connecting with uh, the customer on an individual level through the work, which means that we take the time to make each piece the best we can make it. So what is the process of making a piece here at Hanselman maybe versus other other places? We're we're um we're the clay on a wheel um one at a time and you know the the and this business is to meet demand by stringing the process of man, manufacturing, and that's led to all kinds of innovations and you know they're casting and molding, and those are actually very viable ways of making the work. The difference here is that we're kind of resisting that temptation to scale up and that we're producing lots of work where we really want to stay connected to the lineage, the history of how pottery was made and actually is made all over the world in this fashion, one at a time, on the wheel, and requiring that skill to kind of develop over time. Thus, it's just a more connected piece, and um, it's more dynamic. And I think people that connect with pottery and specifically are looking for that you know whether it's painted with lots of decoration or it's simple there's that connectivity to the materials and the maker that the person does pick up and it's kind of inherent it's not necessarily overt but there is a there is a physical connection with this material there's no doubt does the process 
and resisting the temptation to make things in molds and stuff, does that translate to a higher quality product at the end of the day? Yeah, that's a tough question because there are some beautiful things that are made in the more streamlined methodology. But there is that there is that handmadeness that is unique to this mm-hmm. method, and you can't replicate that. I feel like it know. would feel really good to drink my coffee out of one of these things, yeah. just knowing the story and me Ex- seeing exactly. you here yeah. and knowing how you do this. Yes, almost gives me the chills to think about right. You know, being able to use this on a day to day basis, knowing how much care is, was put into each of these pieces. Definitely. You know, and we're trying to get that across. I like to use the analogy like a boot shop, someone who makes by hand from scratch a pair of boots. You know, those things can cost thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. People wait months on end, sometimes years. That temptation to scale up is also have to be resisted by the craftsman. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, your boots are selling beautifully. Let's make more of them. No, let's just make sure our customers are happy, connect with long-term relationships, and make the work with the same integrity every single time. It keeps the value high. We're not in production to outpace a competitor. We're developing our own market with our own collectors, you know. Gotcha. And they're loyal because that's how we make the work one at a time. So take me back to when you personally decided that being a potter is something you wanted to do. Yeah, that's a ways back. I've always been very independent-minded. I was an entrepreneur from a pretty young age. And um, also, you know, my family's full of artists and writers and actors and photographers. And it just felt natural for me to be in the arts. But I didn't I really wanted to write my own ticket. I just, you know, maybe it's just genetic thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. When I was pretty young, I had pet care businesses and lawn care. I was a kid that had the lawnmower and I was out making money every chance I could get. And it just kind of evolved into that. And I, you know, when I found pottery, it was not only creative, dimensional, historical. It was, you know, involved things like fire and geologic science. And and then on top of it, you have the market and the just, you know, there's just five lifetimes worth of stuff to learn. And that is really what turned me on to know that I could do this my entire life and still be learning the last day I did it, you know. And to me, that was like everything. Now, you said something earlier to me that was striking in that you said this is a 4,000-year-old business. Yeah, it is. You know, yeah. so... Or was, longer. <laughs> I mean, I'm being conservative. They found pottery that's over 10,000 years old mm-hmm. in China and, and Japan and the Koreas, you know. And it's just, it's really amazing to, to see when you start looking in depth in this art form how little some things have changed and how drastically other th- things have changed. So... You know, again, it's a very deep art, and there's a lot to it, but it can also be done simply and very minimalistically. So what, what is clay? Clay is disintegrated feldspathic rock, essentially. Okay, so it's really just the biodegradation of, of minerals and the collection of minerals through sediment. And uh, there's many kinds of clay, and there's many ways of using it. We're using what we call stoneware. Uh, we don't make it here specifically, but we... Re- the clay, you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But 
there's many kinds of clay to to use out there. This is the most viable for what we're doing, and that it has to be heat resistant enough that we can melt a viable, durable glass glaze onto the pot. That way it's vitreous, non-porous, non-staining, and can be used for a lifetime. So that requires us to fire over 2,300 degrees. Oh, wow. And that solidifies the clay into stone. It's no longer clay. It is indeed rock, you know, essentially. And the... So it's the, a chemical process this that is a, happens. This is a chemical mineralogical process. And not unlike what's happening to clay under immense pressure in the ground. So you have elements making minerals. Minerals make rock. Rock makes the, you know, clay and the mountains and all that. So it's all related. And when you apply heat to these minerals, they act a certain way. Okay. So, so, take, so take me through the life of a piece of clay as it would become something that we would sell here at, at Hanselman Pottery. So uh, again, it's made for us by batch uh, by New Mexico Clay Company here in Albuquerque. It comes to us uh, ready to use and that has been mixed and de-aired for throwing. The throwing process again is the clay is placed on the wheel, it's turned counterclockwise and the piece is centered and formed by hand and, um, is there a reason why it's counterclockwise? Uh, no, really. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, there really isn't. I mean, so in Australia, it doesn't spin the other way, right? Uh, well, um, <laughs> it just so happens that in Asia and China and Japan, the wheels do tend to turn clockwise. Oh, okay, okay. And there is, other than tradition and cultural influence, there really isn't a scientific reason why it goes one way or the okay, other. Okay. In fact, um, we have someone here who turns her wheel clockwise. Everybody else turns theirs counterclockwise. Okay. It's the way she was taught, and it's it's fine. Okay, the, so I'll let you the, continue. The, the clay the doesn't care one way or the other. Oh, I figured yeah. it wouldn't, but okay. <laughs> so, okay, so now go ahead and... So we've, we've now... Put this piece of clay on. So, so it's turning. It's on the wheel. It's it's symmetrical. It has become a cup or a bowl or whatever it is we're making. It's removed from the wheel and allowed to set essentially. Okay. As it firms up and is and can be moved, then we do any finished work, i.e., a handle or a spout or a lid or a foot trimmed, and then it is allowed to dry to bone dry. At that point, it's called greenware. And green? It's green. The mm-hmm. color of green. Okay. It, okay. It's spelled the same way. Why is that? Don't know. Okay. It's just one of those terms. You okay, know? sure. Yeah. So when we say greenware in the ceramic business, whether you work for Kohler Company or the smallest little cottage potter, you know that it's raw, dry, and needs to be worked. Further. Okay, okay. So it's just an industry term. Okay. Once it's been uh, allowed to dry to bone dry that's placed in a kiln and fired to 1800 degrees. That removes all the carbon material, all the organic material, and is now no longer clay, but it is indeed ceramic material. We call it bisque. It's a thirsty, porous, light stage of production. It allows water to enter the clay, but it's rigid enough to maneuver and move around. 
So you can actually still squish it? No, no. Oh, oh, oh. It's no longer clay. It's ceramic. Okay. It's not ever going to be clay again. If you smash it to a powder, it's not going to be clay. Oh, okay. It's, so th- that's when the chemical transformation happened. In, in that first firing, yes. Okay, okay, gotcha. So the water, the chemically bound water, the water of plasticity, all kinds of organic material, carbon is all burned out. Okay, gotcha. And what's left is like this. If you had a, If you had a microscope, you would see that it's kind of a skeletal structure. Where all those things were are gone. Like Swiss cheesy. Almost, okay, yes, gotcha. on a microscopic level. Right. So if I dip that in water, you can almost hear it sucking the water into the clay. Okay. Right? So the, the our glaze is in solution. The glaze that, that we put on the clay is made up of primarily the same thing that's in the clay. Adding things like silica, feldspar, alumina, and a clay body to help bond it to the clay itself. That's made into a solution. And so when the bisque is dipped into this, the water is drawn into the bisque ware, and it leaves a film, much like a powder, on the surface. That powder is glass. When it's heated to 2350 degrees, that powder centers and bubbles and boils and begins to melt. And because it's primarily feldspar and silica, it is indeed glass and will turn into glass. There's a molecular bond there that's impenetrable. It's it's absolutely perfect. And so there's the durability. Can you get that at other temperature ranges? Yes, theoretically, but it's not going to be as durable. Okay. So we're at the top of the temperature range for the specific reason that you're going to use this pretty much every day for, for decades. Now, I mean, do you brush this glaze on or do you no, dip it? No, it? it is or, dipped. Oh, you dip it. Okay. There is some techniques that we could use, but we don't do that here. We want the glaze thick okay. and predictable. So this, and, is, this is heirloom quality yeah, stuff that we expect exactly. to last a long, exactly. long time into the future. Yeah. And there's other ways to do this, but we have found that... Um, the system we've developed is just really the best for our customers and for our own sake and the design itself, you know. So, yeah. I think one of the things, too, is that we have come across this challenge of what does it mean to be a pottery in the 21st century? Mm-hmm. This is a very old traditional method in the middle of this really modern age. Sure. And so for me, the contrast highlights the value of the work even more yeah you know so we all kind of want to slow down right now and i feel like this is a thank you this is i just got a a coffee here in one of your coffee mugs so now i can have the warm feelies that i was talking about earlier (laughs) enjoy man enjoy that's awesome yeah so like i was saying before i think we have a desire like nowadays to kind of to slow down to maybe unplug and I yeah, think, man, right, drinking totally coffee out of something like this that somebody yeah. had to be kind of unplugged and slowed down. It maybe that there's an intrinsic that's what we want energy yep. that passes, you know. Exactly, exactly. As I was gonna say, one of the things that we didn't really predict, which has been a kind of a happy accident, was this idea that the work itself was kind of an extension of a system of ideas coming from different backgrounds. Again, the pottery in this day and age is is kind of a um, unicorn kind of thing, mm-hmm. very rare. And I think the way to make this work for me was that we were having input from different backgrounds, but understanding the value 
of the the lineage that we're tapping into the the unbroken chain of learning this craft that goes back so far and to me it's a very important thing to keep in touch with but on the other hand you know we have to have new customers all the time Mm -hmm. we have to have flow we have to have orders going out we need to have demand and so just to do whatever makes me feel good is not good enough so so you understand sort of the the free market capitalist side of the yeah. enter, the enterprising side of, yeah, that, of this Yeah, that's business. my like early influence of, you know, the idea of being a self-made businessman. Mm-hmm. Part of me, I ran a janitorial company for years. I've, I've done all kinds of floor installations. I've been a janitor. I've painted houses. I've built houses. I've done all kinds of things. And so maybe that's why I love ceramics so much is that there's just this really undeniable connection to the natural materials and art you know to me a mug can be just as easily a piece of art sure as it is a piece of utilitarian where the negative space the fact that it's kind of a symbol of cultures of societies of usefulness of function you know and that interpretation can be it can be met on on any number of ways subtlety or very overtly I can tell you right now, after after being here, I'm never going back to Bed Bath and Beyond ever again. <laughs> well, that's good. I don't uh, want to. Yeah, you know, because I don't look at that stuff as art. You know, that's it's, true. This really is is pretty mag- magnificent. Thank you, man. So, so w- what does it take to be a potter? Like, what are the qualities you need to possess in order to be successful at this job, career, yeah, calling? Right. Yeah, uh, definitely a calling. You have to, I think. Be somewhat independent-minded, extremely stubborn, maybe, Mm -hmm. tenacious, because it is a difficult task to be repetitive and to have that discipline of being patient with yourself, but seeing that long-term vision Mm -hmm. and not lose it, right? So, you know, accomplishing goals slowly but surely is a quality we need to, you know, uh, persistence is, is an absolute must. And to have those qualities, you have to believe in what you're doing or you're going to be second-guessing yourself all the time. So having that, I think, exposing yourself to other artists and, you know, being in the know in terms of what's out there helps. I can do that better. I can redefine that. I can do it smaller, faster, whatever. And so, you know, you have to want to be creative and not be afraid to work. Now, it seems like the pottery here has a very iconic look to it, right? It, I mean, the, I'm seeing mm-hmm. a, a lot of the, you know, the pattern on the mugs is very mm-hmm. similar to the pattern on the bowls, is right. very similar to the pattern on a, on a flower pot, right? Good, good. So how do you, first of all, I guess there's, it's a two-part question. How did that start and why is that the way, it, why is it the way it is? And then I guess secondly, how do you continue to keep it interesting right yeah you know i think part of the the look of this line is that when i started making functional pots in 1987 or 88 if you think about the amount of work i've made hundreds of thousands of pieces maybe more countless tons of clay and so when you work that much things start to come to the surface Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. your personality your propensity for various 
things come forward. Is this your design? Well, I didn't invent the mug. No, I mean that like just the look of it and right. Yeah, I definitely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at my body of work and you went back to the early '90s, you would you would say, "Oh my God, the Tanselman with a different glaze on it." Oh, okay. Right? Gotcha. But on the other hand, I've done all kinds of methods and all kinds of clays, all kinds of temperatures, all kinds of kilns. Mm-hmm. But things come back around. A mug isn't going to be a mug if it doesn't work. Right. And so you're confined to those things. When you're working in serviceware or things that people are going to be using for food, you have some parameters there, right? <laughs> right. There's no... And so working within those parameters, you have to be creative. You have to be repetitive. And to me, repetition is the secret to life, right? You have to embrace that. Mm-hmm. You don't look at one mug. You look at a year's worth of work. So is, is this not a career for like the ADHD person or? C- certainly. This could be a career for anybody, you yeah. know, because it can more, the, the work can, can be a reflection of that person uh-huh. very easily. That's one of the draws to ceramic art is that the form, the scale, the texture, this, the use of it, everything comes from the maker. Clay inherently in nature is not beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's ugly and it gets your car stuck and it gets you know there's nothing about clay in nature that just says oh I've got to have that. Uh-huh. It's just a it's just a muddy hole, right? It's interesting to <laughs> it's think so, about it that way. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing and there's no there's where like wood in nature is beautiful. You cut away a piece mm-hmm. of wood and the grain or the color of the wood it has mm-hmm. it has a a beauty all to itself, nothing like that in clay. You have to make all of those components to the piece from the maker. I'm smelling a book deal so, here. I'm smelling that, you know, the towel of clay or <laughs> something, you well, know. There's lots of books written about it. It wouldn't be the first. Okay, there's, yeah. You know, but I, you know, I just, I feel like there's an unstoppable current in this kind of business that transcends trends and markets and there's just nothing's going to stop this this business you know and that's another great thing to know is that if we do it right you're always going to have customers there's just it's just the way it is you know yeah no matter how high tech people are not going to stop drinking coffee yeah exactly in fact the higher the tech the more valuable our work becomes Uh right it's true and i've seen that just firsthand i've just seen it you know so it, it boils down to the way we do our business, the way we execute those challenges of being a business, being a team. And so the white glaze is almost a symbol of that. Mm-hmm. We're, we've taken out that highly decorative component to ceramics and addressed other issues like workflow and sustainability mm-hmm. and sure. cost and all those challenges that befront any craft business, you know. And so... We're very pleased that it fits in so many kinds of decors Mm -hmm. and so many different functions. We've done custom work for, you know, Sandia Casino, and we've done work for bistros and coffee shops and wedding registries. We we have all kinds of customers. Sure. And we we can throw and design for anybody. And that's a great thing because when you manufacture ceramics, with machinery, you're bound to to those machines. For any, the smallest change can cost millions of dollars. Because you're thousands. changing a whole mold, yeah, right? Yeah, one yeah. little change can mm-hmm. cost thousands of dollars. So we're, we're way ahead of the game there. 
you know. So I'm noticing there's a rougher texture on the bottom, right? Right. Then, then on the sides right. of this mug, and I'll have to post a picture online so people know what I'm looking at. But yeah. what's the difference between the rough stuff on the bottom and then the smooth stuff on the sides? Well, you're looking at the raw clay. <laughs> I have a I have That's a new buddy dog Ace, yeah. Ace next to me over Ace here who is on almost on my lap. I told you he'd be it your didn't best start buddy. this way. I'll tell no, you, no, it never does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is this is the rough clay. That's raw clay before the glaze. Yeah. Oh wow. So okay. the, so we expose the clay for streamlining the line. Okay. The trainability of it, but also people like to see the clay. It's cool. Yeah. 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 It has a little, a nice little stamp on the bottom. Yeah, yeah stamped. Yeah. And then what is the other? Is that your? Is That's that my signature? Probably. Or is, it looks like a cool little stamp that looks like it has a J in the middle. Is that yours? Yeah. Okay. I, I, let me see which one. Yeah. That's yours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, does everybody have their own little stamp? They do. Uh, oh, that's cool. The gals just scribe it in with a pen or something. Okay. Uh, I actually make a little stamp. Oh, neat. You know, I don't know why, but well, <laughs> well. Well, yeah. uh, the, the gals maybe will maybe design their own stamp one day. You know? I've tried. I, I gave up. I gave up. I, I've, I've mentioned it several times, but so what are these little freckles all around the all, all around? Those the are um, those are iron spots in the clay oh. that come through the glaze. Okay, this is not you sitting there with your fingertips going. No, no, that's just in the clay body. Wow. Okay, and gives it a nice speckly look. I think just pure white might be a little too, a little bit too modern. Mm-hmm. I like the clay coming through the glaze a little bit, you know. Well, that's very cool. James, thank, thank you so much for sharing You're all this with welcome, us. You're quite welcome, man. Yeah. We really appreciate yeah. it. Sure. Anytime. All right, Albuquerque, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Review on iTunes as well. I will read all of those reviews. I don't miss anyone. And listen every week to ABQCast. If you head on over to abqcast.com, you will see a link for our group, ABQ Insiders. Join us there on Facebook or just search us up on Facebook, ABQ Insiders, and you can be one of the inner circle. So I hope you enjoyed today and we look forward to touching base with you next week. Thanks so much. Okay, so this is the bonus round, the bonus reel. So this is the funny story of... Yeah, I don't know if funny is pressing, actually. Oh, okay. So you, um, you met... So we're talking about Luke Parker. Luke Parker. Who is Hanselman. the owner of Hanselman. Him and his wife, Rachel. And, uh, oh, him and his wife, Rachel. Okay. And mm. we know, I know, and I know Rachel from Red Horse Riding exactly, Company. yeah. Okay. And so, so what happened? You so, met, this is how you got here. <laughs> so in, in 20, 2012, I had just gotten a divorce, been through a divorce. So my life was in transition and uh, I had scheduled and was preparing for three shows consecutively. And to show your pottery? To show my pottery. So, you know, uh, life goes on. You have to make money. And, and um, my studio was in the South Valley of Albuquerque at the time. And um, at that point, I, my studio was sitting on two acres of land and had lo- lots of room and animals everywhere. And, you know, it was a pretty rural lifestyle. 
And my father, who was a neighbor, uh, also uh, lives on a big piece of land, and he's got a lot of big cottonwoods on his piece of property. And one day I went down there, because I no, no longer lived in the home, I went down to the studio to work and prepare for my shows, and my dad's truck was parked under this gigantic cottonwood tree. And he had a ladder up in the bed of the truck underneath a branch of the tree. And I went inside and I said, Dad, what are you doing with the ladder in the back of the truck? <laughs> he's like, well, I'm going to... That sounds like a bad YouTube yeah, video waiting to yeah, happen. Yeah, he's like, yeah. I'm gonna, I got to cut that limb because the tractor, every time it goes under, it bangs on the roof of the tractor and blah, blah, blah. And I need to cut this limb. So I said, well, you're not going to climb that ladder and cut this huge branch, you kill yourself. He's like, well, it was just the one, and, you know, my dad's getting up in years. And I said, no, no, you're not going to do that. I'll cut this one branch for you, but then you have to promise to rent a bucket truck and do it correctly and safely. But I'd been pruning these trees for two decades, and so I'd, I was a little complacent, and I hopped up in the tree to cut this branch for him, and... The next thing I know, I'm waking up on the ground, and I had fallen about 18 feet down onto my head, and oh, no. there was a gust of wind that had come up and cracked this limb. <laughs> anyway, I don't need to go into the logistics of how I fell. Did the you wake point up in the is, hospital, is or you woke up on the ground? I woke up on the ground, and it turned out that I had broken three ribs and fractured my right arm and shattered my left wrist in five places oh my lord well that's not good considering what you do yeah and literally weeks away from a show so i was incapacitated at i just bought a house too so i have a brand new house i'm still living in boxes and i'm in casts and i have no way to make a living and anyways i was looking through craigslist one day after my surgery and there was an ad for an experienced potter in corrales I answered the ad, and I got no response. So I, I uh, emailed him again and again, and I, uh, after two months, I gave up. So I was a little ticked off, and I wrote Luke one last email, and it wasn't very nice. You know, I basically said, you know, I've been trying to get a hold of you. I'm really interested in this job. It would have been nice to at least get a no or something. Three days later, I get this cryptid message, call me. And left a number. No <laughs> name, nothing. <laughs> this mysterious. This mysterious, weird, cryptic message. And uh, so I called it. It was Luke. And um, we met at Flying Star, had a couple meetings, and I came out here. And I told him what I thought about the place, and I left. A couple of days later, he called me back and said, can you come down and meet Rachel? At the time, they had another master potter working here. And apparently something went pretty south because okay. they called me right away. And at first he wanted me to just teach. And I said, no, I, no I'm, not, I'm not into that. We either do a production line or, or nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, It's really not set up to be a school, and I'm not really a teacher. Anyway, that's how we met. I told Luke at the time, because when he and Rachel brought the place, it was still being met. The Hanselman pottery line was being manufactured uh, via casting and ram pressing, which is a hydraulic mold pressing method. 
And he didn't have any reason to continue doing it, but he didn't know of any other way to, to make the work. And he just blatantly asked me, what would you do if this was your pottery? And I told him, I said, handmade, one at a time, high value, create our own market. The sky's the limit. If you're relying on machines, you're going to be competing against other countries. Right, like China is doing this. Yeah, and they can yeah. do it way better than we can. Okay, Italians, the French, the Italians, even the Mexicans—they can make beautiful pots for pennies compared to what we can. Sure, we can't go that route. We have to create an artistic line that people are interested in collecting for its own sake. Mm-hmm. And if we hand throw it, nothing can stop us because we can make it at any. I can throw anything, mm-hmm. any sa- size or scale. We can do it, and that's kind of what we went for. And it started out in a uh, in a way that was a little chaotic. I threw everything, I produced everything you can possibly think of in clay, from dinnerware to jar sets to lamp bases, tile, everything. And and we just have been editing and narrowing that line according to what sells and what's sustainable and what's trainable. And this is what we have at the current you know time so it's been seven years in the making of throwing probably i on individually i probably throw around three thousand pieces a year and you know we go through about a six to eight tons of clay hand making everything one at a time and and i think people appreciate what we're doing here you know so yeah that's it thanks for sharing the story sure man